and we'll use that as the, the close of the lesson. Uh, but as we, we look at the Bible, we have some really good examples of those that followed Jesus. Now we here, we have made a commitment of some sort, or you wouldn't be here. You made some kind of commitment to follow Jesus, whether you've obeyed the gospel, whether you've not done that yet, but you want to. Uh, we are here for a very good reason, and that is so that we can follow Jesus. And we're going to look at some other individuals in the scripture, and we're going to look at, at what they did to follow Jesus. And I want to make us, uh, I want us to make a comparison to that. I want us to, to make a comparison to how we have endeavored to follow Jesus and make sure that we're actually doing what we have begun to do. But we begin in Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at a couple of examples in this chapter. We'll look at an example in Acts. And then we'll bring our, our thoughts together. But we'll begin reading in verse 1. Luke chapter 5 and beginning with verse 1. We'll read through verse 11. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. That he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a cat. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Have you ever wondered why, why he fell down at Jesus' knees? Brother Kirk brought it out in one of his classes a few years ago that probably the reason that he fell down at Jesus' knees is because they were in the boat with a bunch of fish and he couldn't get to his feet. So he fell down at Jesus' knees. He said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. As we begin looking at the text here, we find that, that Jesus is standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he sees the two boats that are standing by the lake, but the fishermen weren't in them. They were busy cleaning their nets. They were not in the boats. He saw the boats standing by the lake, and he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. 
And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Can you imagine what that must have been like for the multitudes who, who were there, who were present, who heard Jesus? He, he couldn't even stand with them because of the crowds, but he taught them from a boat. And especially the four fishermen. When he had stopped speaking... He told Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now they, they had been fishing. And Simon brings this out. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Simon did a very good thing. Now there were some times where he did some, some not so good things. But this is one of those times where he did the right thing. He heard Jesus' words. And he did according to those words. It's a good example for, for our Bible class lesson today too. But this time was different. They, again, they had been fishing all night. They had caught nothing. But this time, this time... When they threw out their nets, there were too many fish. A, a great number of fish so that their net was breaking and, and they signaled to their partners, come and help us. And they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now what happened? What's the difference in, in them fishing all night and them fishing at Jesus' command? This was a miraculous thing. This is something that only Jesus could bring about. I'm sure that they had never caught such a catch of fish as they caught on this occasion. Simon Peter is overcome with emotion. He falls down at Jesus' knees. And he recognizes before the Christ that he is a sinful man. Let's go back to verse 9 for a moment. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. I wonder what qualified these men to be fishers of men. They, they were fishermen. They had been fishing for fish. And I think it's a very good example that Jesus uses uh, in this case, you've been fishing, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. But what was their qualification other than that? Had they done any kind of preaching before? Had they done anything to bring others into Christ before? They had not. They didn't really know who Jesus was up until this point. But notice what is said in verse 11 because it's a key to the rest of this lesson. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed Him. 
they forsook all and followed Him. And in a moment we're going to come back to that thought and recognize what they forsook. But I want to look at somebody else too. Not just these, but let's also look at Matthew, also known as Levi. In the very same chapter, in verse 27, Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. After these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Verse 28, so he left all, rose up and followed him. In verse 29, then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Jesus went to a lowly tax collector and He tells him the very same thing. Follow me. And we're told that He left all, rose up and followed Him. Do you imagine that, that Matthew, Levi, must have had some friends. The, these friends that had come to this feast and and a lot of them tax collectors, scribes, Pharisees. And they complained against Jesus. And what does Jesus have to say? Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick. I have come to call the right, not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those that recognized who they were, recognized their lowliness in Christ's presence. He had come to a lowly tax collector. And something about Jesus, maybe something that Matthew had heard, maybe something that Matthew had experienced, maybe he had heard his teachings firsthand, we're not really sure. But something caused Matthew to leave all that he knew, to leave his life as he knew it, to follow Jesus. In the book of Acts, turn to the book of Acts chapter 9. We're going to come back to Luke in a moment, but let's look at Acts chapter 9. And here we read of a conversion that is unlike any other in Scripture. When we look at, at people such as, as the four fishermen, for instance, they were probably very good men. They were probably very honest, I would imagine. They, they had somewhat of a business going. I'm sure that they were upstanding citizens. Have a little bit of a difference in Matthew. Matthew was looked down upon by the rest of the people because of his position as a tax collector. 
But now we come to Acts chapter 9, and here we read of a man by the name of Saul, who will later be known as Paul. Paul thought he was doing right, but he was actually not. He was a persecutor of the church. Good Christian people. Uh, people that had been taught kindness and, and things such as, as those teachings of Jesus. They became members of the church after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And it is those very people that Saul persecuted. Well, let's begin reading in Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. For what crimes? No crime at all, except that they were Christians. And in verse 3 of Acts 9, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city. And you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. 
Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Saul thought he was doing the right thing by persecuting the church, by persecuting Christians. And he found out that he was very, very wrong. But you see, he was willing to leave that life, that persecution that he had been practicing when he found out that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, when he found out who he had been persecuting, he turned away from that. And he obeyed the gospel. He arose and was baptized for the remission of his sins. And it says very shortly after that in verse 20 that immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. He went about almost counteracting everything that he had lived for and began preaching Christ as the Son of God. Four fishermen, a tax collector, and one who was a persecutor of the church, they forsook everything that they had known to follow Jesus. Now let's bring all of these together. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Let's look back at our scripture reading. Luke 14 and beginning with verse 25. Now great multitudes went with Jesus and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I want you to notice some of the things that Jesus shares with these multitudes. Of those who wish to follow him, he's going to narrow down the, the, the list a little bit in the way that he speaks to them, in the things that he says. 
Anyone who comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Those are harsh words. Anyone who doesn't hate father and mother. Now wait a minute, we've been studying the Ten Commandments and, and don't we read there that we are to honor father and mother? Wife and children, brothers and sisters, what is Jesus saying? He's not saying that they should literally hate them. But in comparison to their love for Christ, they should love Him more. Sometimes following Jesus requires that we leave behind family. Especially those who are not faithful Christians, those who might deter us from our mission. Sometimes we need to forsake family. Let's take Peter for, for instance. One of the things that we read early in, in Jesus' ministry, one of the, the people that he healed was Peter's mother-in-law. And for Peter to have a mother-in-law, he must have also had a wife. And yet we read of them nowhere else in Scripture. As a matter of fact, in many cases, there's no way that, that Peter could have been with his family and serving Jesus also. We go back to Luke chapter 5 and we remember the words that were said there of these fishermen in verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all. And followed him. What did that all include? Well as fishermen they forsook their jobs as fishermen. They forsook their businesses. Probably family business. And yet they forsook them to follow Christ. Peter we see had a family. And yet in some ways he forsook them to follow Christ. Matthew is a good example of forsaking his job as well. He was a tax collector. But in verse 28, so he left all, rose up and followed him. And what about Paul? Let's not leave him out here. What did Paul forsake to follow Jesus? He forsook his sin. He had committed great sin, great wrong against Christ. And persecuting the church. And he forsook all to follow Jesus. Are we not called upon to forsake all to follow Jesus? Whether it be family. Or whether it be a job that keeps us from, from serving God as we should. Is it a sinful lifestyle? Whatever it may be, we need to be willing to forsake all, to follow Jesus. Again, notice some of these other words of Jesus. Which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Do you think that these... These examples, these gentlemen, do you think that they 
had counted the cost before they followed Jesus. I'm sure that they did. Or they not, would not have continued with them. They were chosen for a very good reason. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Elsewhere in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gives what we refer to often as the great invitation. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus does not tell us that Christianity is going to be an easy thing. It's not something that you can put on and take off whenever you need to. Sometimes it's a burden. Sometimes it means that we need to forsake certain things in order to follow Christ. But when there are things that we need to forsake, and we know that there are things in our life that we need to forsake for His cause, then we need to be willing to do so. Which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. They had counted the cost. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, it may be that, that you have become a Christian. Maybe you have obeyed the gospel, but maybe you didn't first count the cost. And maybe in that life you've not remained faithful. There are some days I like to walk, and, and the other day I was walking, and, and whenever I, I walk with the purpose of exercise, I do so with music. I like to do so with music, and sometimes I pick out different types of music, but Monday I, I picked out Southern Gospel. I, I grew up with that with my grandparents, and there was a song that I heard, and this song came to mind as I was preparing this lesson, and I wanted to share the words with you. It's a song that is sung by Gold City. And the words were written by Diane Wilkinson. The song's title is Turn Your Back. If you're tired of the life you're living, if you're taking more than you've been given, if your life seems a little more lonely every day, turn your back to the life you're leading. Turn your back to the voice you're heeding. Turn your eyes to the morning star loves you for what you are. He's the only one who can show you a better way.
If you've searched all your life for something, and it seems that you've missed the one thing that can give you peace and comfort your troubled heart, turn your back on doubt and confusion. Turn your back on disillusion. Turn your feet toward a brand new road. Find a friend to share your load. He's the only one who can give you a brand new start. And the chorus is this. Turn your back to the road you're walking. Turn back to the, to the way you're talking. Turn your back to the friends who just want to bring you down. Turn your back, you will start believing. Turn your back, you will start receiving. Turn your eyes to the Lord above. You'll soon find the perfect love. He's the only one who can turn your life around. Today I want to encourage you to turn your back. Turn your back on those that, that do not help you in your Christian walk. Not completely, not necessarily in such a way that we can't bring them to Christ. But be willing to forsake all. Again, if it's like Matthew, if it's your job that, that brings you down in some way, that, that hinders your Christianity, your service to God, be willing to forsake all. And especially if it's sin. If you have sin in your life, then be willing to forsake all. To follow Jesus. God does not ask us to be casual Christians. But He wants us to commit ourselves to Him every day and in every way that we can. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In forsaking all, there is no room for casual Christianity. God wants us to serve Him and to serve Him completely. So whether it is that, that you've not taken those first steps and forsaking all to follow Him, then we would encourage you to take those steps. To be obedient to the gospel plan of salvation. We are told what we need to do in Scripture. By faith, believing, leading to obedience. We repent, confess our faith in Christ, and we're baptized for the remission of sins. So that we can walk in the newness of life. But maybe it is, again, that you have become a Christian and maybe you've turned away. Maybe you've failed in the forsaking all part of it. Maybe you need to make a new start. Maybe you need to ask for prayer. Maybe you need to ask for help. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Know that we love you. Know that we want you to be faithful. And we want to help you in any way that we can. 266 is the song of invitation. We always offer the Lord's invitation. And certainly, if you are in need of responding, don't wait another day. It may be too late. We are given today. And if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, then we give you that opportunity 
Let's together we stand and as we sing.